0: By the way, I learned something watching myself on television. I look a lot better on this side than I do on this side. My nose looks crooked on this side, and it doesn't on this side. But I can't just look on this side of the building. That would not be fair to all of you over here. So when I was 11, I broke my nose, Ha ha! It's crooked. It looks that way, and it is. But I have no problem breathing, everything is fine. Thank you. So, whatever way I'm looking, what you see is what you get, okay? What do you really know about God after you learn that? I believe all men have a longing to know God. Without exception, I believe that. It is found in the most ignorant native dwelling in the densest portion of Africa's jungle, or in the highest institution of learning in any nation on the face of the earth. There is a common bond among men, and that bond is to share an eagerness to know God, to be sure of God. A poll was taken of several hundred college students, and the question was, how do you think of God? Thirty-two percent thought of God as a personality, forty-one percent thought of Him as an orderly force in the universe, twenty-three percent thought He does not exist, or if He does, it's not really that important. But one student in those hundreds answered with evident emotion, and I think answered for all of us, when that student said, I wish I knew. All men wish they knew because nobody wants to miss out on eternity. They want to know God if indeed there is a God. What do you really know about God? When we sweep away the thin veneer of tradition and custom of life, we often discover down underneath a haunting longing to find spiritual truth. Chapter 23 of Job, verse 3, just a few verses after where we read this morning, Job cried out, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. And then the passage that we read from Jeremiah has such tremendous words. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord who exerciseth loving kindness. Let him glory in that he knoweth me. For many of us, the fight for faith must be won again and again and again and again and again and again. again. I believe that's why God in His Word instructed us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, because we need this constant fueling of our faith. We need this constant reminder of His presence, of His love. We have come to church today, perhaps with doubts, perhaps with problems of some kind in our faith, but don't let that bother you. Don't let that obscure the way. Come today with renewed faith to a God who understands your doubts and who understands your questions. I was reading the story of Calvin Jones, who used to play football for the Denver Broncos. He was an all-American For the University of Washington years ago, now 31 years of age, born in 51, of parents of a church of 800 members pastoring that church. He attended Sunday school and church all of his life, but he said, I didn't clear the fog away until 1969, when I was 18 years old. And he said, I totally surrendered my life to Christ, and it was the most important decision I ever made. I still love football, but now my number one priority was my relationship to God. Football was now secondary. Calvin Jones speaks for many of us. To know God is universal. Look at the nations of history. When they proclaimed God, they prospered and were successful. When they forsook God, they fell. Why is it so hard for us to learn? France began her years of downfall when she lost her God. You can go into France and see some of the great cathedrals in the world today, but many Frenchmen have lost a vital contact with the Creator And for all intents and purposes, France is an atheistic state today. Those cathedrals mean nothing. We're going through in America the age of materialism. Prosperity and progress have been our gods for years now. It has become sophisticated to ignore spiritual truth. Agnostic people become... Irritated over signs of spirituality. They don't want any sound or sight of Christianity and would just as soon get it out of their way. It reminds me of Edna St. Vincent Millay's conversation at midnight. She was an American lyric poet who died in 1950. One of her most dramatic verses speaks on this subject. Ricardo said, Man has never been the same since God died. He has taken it very hard. Why you'd think it was only yesterday the way he takes it. Not that he says much, but he laughs much louder than he used to. And he can't bear to be left alone, even for a minute, and he can't sit still. He gets along pretty well as long as it's daylight. He works very hard. And he amuses himself very hard with the many cunning amusements this clever age affords. But it's all no use. The moment it begins to get dark, as soon as it's night, he goes out and howls over the grave of God. Job did ask one of the basic questions of all the ages when he pleaded to be shown where he might find God. Men in this world plead the same down inside. And Job answers by saying, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Man is howling over the grave of God. The noise doesn't satisfy. The dance doesn't provide lasting satisfaction or happiness. Turning the knob up on the radio doesn't do it. He goes out when the lights are out, and it's night, and howls over the grave of God. What do you really know about God? Three things I want to leave with you this morning, three suggestions I want to make as you pursue your quest for God. Number one, use the power of reason. Many seekers after truth believe that religion is not practical. I disagree with that vehemently. Scientific knowledge has fallen across the pathway of every one of us here today, yet there is still the need of God. You cannot find an answer to the gnawing in the laboratory, in the test tube, or in the formulas that men put together. In the primitive world, people worshipped in the form of spirits which they thought were present in the rain or the sun or the moon or a flower or a plant or a tree, and worship was a direct experience for them. It was and it is easy to bow to the sun or the stars or to the soil because it's very direct and it's very simple. It's something you can see. Even the very ancient Hebrew people who gave us our Bible were used to the direction of Jehovah God. The progress of the Israelites was marked by the hand of God. God talked to them, God communed with them, but today the universe includes endlessness of both space and time. We know there are millions of galaxies out there and because of our scientific knowledge men have forgotten to reason with themselves and to reason with God as Isaiah suggested they do. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. The idea of a creator is necessary to explain the universe. So where do we go? We go back to the beginning. We read the opening words of Genesis. That's where we go. And it's not something to be thought silly It's something to be reasoned with. In the beginning, God. That's it. That's all you need. Reason with it. Ponder it. Think of it in the morning and think of it at night. In the beginning, God, the mystery of life, cannot be found. Excluding him. He's there. You will see him everywhere you look reason, and let your reason go. In A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, there is the picture of Dr. Manette. Dr. Manette was put in prison. He had been there for many years, and his home there was a little cell which would only take three short steps to reach the limits. So he got used to that little cell for years, three steps forward, three steps backward. That was his home. But one day he was released. His daughter took him out into the sunlight and into freedom. But Dr. Manette did not want to be free. He pleaded to be allowed to remain in a tiny room where he could be alone. His senses had become accustomed so long to the narrowness of a prison cell that they could not adapt themselves to the broad and open spaces of the world and the sky around him. He couldn't see the trees. He couldn't see the majesty of God anywhere. He could only see that tiny little space that he'd become accustomed to for so long. And that's exactly the picture of man today. He's become accustomed to getting up on Monday morning after a weekend bash and go through the day and drinking at night and getting up again in the morning and going through the day and drinking at night and getting up the next day and when Saturday comes he really lets it go the six pack is by his side at all times he's got to hear the music he's got to be moving all the time he has become used to that little cell he's trapped And he will not reason with himself. And he will not reason with God. Where is all of this going to take me? Where will it all end? And if he reasons with himself, he will come up with the answer. It will lead him to death. And it will lead him to separation from God. And it will lead him to hell itself. But he refuses to reason. He goes on with the noise. He goes on with the sound. He goes on with the big lie. And he will not sit down and say, what? is going to be the end of all of this. One of our famous presidents made a very simple statement when he said, certain truths are evident, and I believe that applies to the gospel. The history of mankind across the ages makes it evident that the Creator of the universe is dependable and ever-present in His world always communicating, always doing marvelous things, and if you will reason today, God will make himself real to you. The story of Helen Keller is one of the great stories of all time. You have seen the story on television, you've read it in the books and the magazines, but there's always another name that's connected with Helen Keller, and that's the name of Anne Macy Sullivan. Miss Sullivan is the young lady who went through that unbelievable struggle to help Helen Keller learn the meaning of words. She started on the idea of water. You remember it in the film that I saw quite a while ago on television. She started by pouring water over Miss Keller's hands, and then she would put her fingers in the palm of Helen's hand and spell out water. She did this day after day after day. Helen could not see, could not hear, could not speak, and was totally unable to understand. But through the process of time, after repeating that day after day, the same routine, putting Helen's hands in water, spelling it out, pouring water over her hands, spelling it out, one day the miracle happened. Helen took her fingers and took Miss Sullivan's hand and spelled it back, W-A-T-E-R. She understood it was water. Her limited senses had for once grasped the relation between water and the word that Anne was using to express what it was. And the doors opened, and Helen Keller became one of the most remarkable women that has ever walked this earth. That's what happens when we come to God. We have feeble instruments. We have feeble senses. We cannot comprehend the mystery of God until we sit down and reason together and reason with Him as many of you have done. If there is a God, show me yourself. He will answer that prayer. He will come to you if you will reason with Him and if you will reason with yourself. We learn how to know God as we make consecrated use of our reasoning powers. Why not try it? What are you afraid of? What is that gnawing inside of you? Why do men try to bury it and pretend it isn't there? Why not sit down and reason about God? The second thing I would like to suggest that you do to find out what Job found and Jeremiah found is to use the gift of appreciation. Paul wrote in Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen, being perceived through the things that are made. You see, you find God through the things that are around you when you appreciate them. And Jesus said, if we become as little children, we will inherit the kingdom of God. I had a little book given to me at my birthday a year and few months ago by Keith and Vangie Gonzalez in our church, and the reason they gave it to me was the title. It said, Dear Pastor. That was the title of the book by Bill Adler, and it was little letters from kids to their pastor. And oh, I love them. I'm not sure I like this one. An 11-year-old said, Dear Pastor, I like your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. But an 8-year-old wrote, Dear Pastor, when is God's birthday? I would like to send him a present. Isn't that great? Just let that sink in a minute. A 10-year-old said, Dear Pastor, please pray for me tomorrow. I think I forgot to do my homework. Another wrote, Dear Pastor, please pray for all the airline pilots. I'm flying to California tomorrow. And another said, Could you say a special blessing for my Aunt Beatrice? She has been looking for a husband for 12 years and still hasn't found one. And this little seven-year-old said, Dear Pastor, I believe God can do anything, and so can my daddy. That's powerful, too. The gift of appreciation. Paul found a witness of God in the world about him. That's what he wrote in Romans 1.20. There is something in the hallelujah chorus or in the great strains of holy, holy, holy... Or in the fragrance of a rose garden that says he's alive, he's real, he is there. My wife and I were driving last evening just about dark and down a street. I said, look at those trees. They were blossoming in beautiful pink blossoms. And I looked at the grass and it's growing greener by the day. And isn't it beautiful, the world around us right now? It was so wonderful just to be alive. Then after we got home, I put on my special pair of pants. If my wife wasn't afraid of divorce, she would throw them away. But they're my pants, my special house pants. My pants! They feel good when I'm home and nobody is around. I wear these suits all the time and I want to get into my pants when I get home. Would you please speak to her for me? I got into my pants. Often she says, not those again. Oh, what I have to go through. Just to get sermon illustrations. Last night was one of those evenings I got into my pants. It had been a full week. I hadn't been able to sit in my house all week long till last night when I got into my pants. (laughs) And it felt good. And I had some reading material I hadn't got to, and it was cozy, quiet. And I appreciated it. The phone rang only six times. That's pretty good. Then I went to my desk and I wrote out my check for today, my tithe, my building commitment, my missions commitment for the month of March. And I thank God that I could invest in eternal things, and I have today the gift of appreciation And all of it says to me, as I look at those budding trees and those flowers and the grass growing greener, and I settle into the comforts of my home, my pants, I realize how good God is, and he grows more real and more wonderful. And as I sat there reading that material that was blessing me, I then thought of Today, I was on the verge of another Sunday, my best day of the week, Sunday. It's always fun to get together with family, and I thank God that He's real. And the more appreciative I get, the more real He becomes. Hallelujah. Even appreciative of my pan. I have had them for years and they shall never depart (laughs) there is something in human life that cries out he is real everywhere you look if you look with an eye to see everything says he's real he's there When we left the church last night, my wife and I, Ray Larson was leaving at the same time, this magnanimous pastor of singles. Holy, righteous Ray Larson. <laughs> he has purchased a new car in recent weeks, and my wife hadn't seen it, and we arrived at his car at the same time. And he opened the door, and my wife wanted to look at his car. It was nice, except I saw on the floor of his car a cigar. (laughs) Big brown cigar, that long. (laughs) Of course, he immediately went to explain. Remember that peacock family that got baptized up here last month, and he prayed that they'd have a lot of little peacocks? Well, they had a little peacock. And old brother Peacock I think he's here somewhere he didn't know how to express this miracle except to do like the world does. Hand out cigars, and Ray got a cigar. Only problem I can see is he' still got it. He said, I pushed it under the seat after you left. So if you want to find it, go look. <laughs> you know, a father with a new baby, that miracle of life, my gracious. How do you express it? You don't know whether to eat the cigar, or smoke it. You're so excited, I wouldn't recommend either. But the peacocks can't get over it. Every time I see little Caleb, by the way, he's standing up now. He's pulling himself up. He's so gifted. (laughs) He crawls all over. He is something else. What does it all say? Life, God, creator. And when you begin to appreciate it and hand out your cigars, it's the only way you know to say there's something miraculous about this. Something marvelous has happened, and there is someone magnificent behind it all. Life, miracle, creator. The gift of appreciation brings him close. What do you really know about God? When Paul was telling the story of his conversion in Acts 22, he said, And I persecuted this way under the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And in chapter 26, he said, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. That was his background. What turned him around? Where did this great man change? Do you know what had happened? When he saw life in Stephen, who was being martyred for the cause of Christ, he looked at his face and saw the glory of God. He heard his words, which were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lay not this sin to their charge. Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the people and put them into jail and murdered them even unto strange cities, now says, I am crucified with Christ. Now he says, I can do all things through Christ. Where did that evidence come from? Through the changed life of Stephen, he saw the Creator in a man. That's what helps me believe God. Because every day I see all around here people who have had that experience changed by Christ. They tell me about it, their lives are not the same anymore. They are different. They don't beat their children, their wife anymore. They go to work on time. They put in a decent day. They don't cheat anymore. They're changed by the power of God. And it makes me believe in God. Stir up the gift of appreciation in your life for what God is doing. You can never deny His presence or His power when you do that. And the third and last thing that I bring to your attention today is follow the way of faith. Our knowledge of God must not remain a theory. We must have a life of faith. Herein is the big problem of a lot of churches today. They're in theory and they're not in faith. If you think about it, pray for me at noon on Thursday. I have been invited to speak to the ministers in Woodland on Thursday at noon and they have sent some questions to me they would like me to address. One of them was on a certain church piece of stationery. I will not tell you what church. But that pastor said something like this, and I paraphrase. Since you minister to a a very middle-class kind of person, what suggestions would you have for church growth for those of us who minister to the intellectuals. Oh, am I looking forward to Thursday. (laughs) You see, that is the background of a lot of religion today. It's theory. And they think that it has to be up here somewhere to be intellectual. Their churches are empty, but they keep going on. So, I want to tell them how to fill their church, just talk about God, and His Son Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, and how relevant this book is to daily life, and get it out of theory into faith. Why, even the devils believe in God, but they're still devils. Because it's not a faith that moves into action. And that's where it's all at. So follow the way of faith. Let God Himself demonstrate His love, His life, His power, His dependability through your daily life. If you don't go away from here with something to help you in your daily life, I have failed. Well, I could give you the greatest discourse there is on justification by faith. But if you're no better, I've failed. So you have to find the way of faith where God becomes as real as your breath and as close as the hand on the end of your arm. For almost 2,000 years, Christians have accepted Jesus of Nazareth as the perfect reflection of God. They have declared that men who want to know what God is like may look safely to Jesus and discover Him. Faith. But man wants theory, test tube religion. You'll only find God when you get on your face before him and say, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. He'll be there. We all know about the conflict in Ireland, and it's a sad thing. We probably don't get half the stories, but one I read touched me. A 16-year-old girl in Ireland before her very eyes, saw her mother shot, her grandfather shot, and her very close friend shot and killed in a crossfire, three right before her eyes. The reporters were questioning her, and they said to her, did it shake your belief in God? The 16-year-old girl said, not in God, in man. Oh, I like that. You see, we look around and there are all kinds of questions. Why the cancer? Why the atrocities in El Salvador? And if it isn't El Salvador, it's somewhere else, isn't it? And people say, how could a God of love do all of that? Well, who said God was doing it? I think that young lady had a lot of sense. When she said to those reporters, it hasn't shaken my belief in God, only in men. When you have faith, God reveals himself to you through the conflict, through the war, through the crises, through the murders, through the rapes, through all that is happening. God is there loving, helping. So as I move through my days, I feel him above me, underneath me, in front of me, behind me, all around me. God is there saying, I love you, Glenn. Everything is fine, Glenn. We're together, Glenn. It's all right. I'm there. And I know it because I believe him. He's there. And he that hath begun a good work in you will complete it. Paul said, and it's time some of you in church took hold of it. Dr. Henry Verweyen, member of our church, wrote for me this week the conclusion of my sermon. He did not know he was writing it, but it came just in time. He said he had been out running at noontime. And this came to him while he was running. Did you ever notice, he said, when you walk into the wind how loud it is? It can intimidate you to the point that it can make the going really tough. You'd swear at times that you just couldn't go a step further in the face of such an adversity. Then he said, sin is like that. The temptations can be loud and right there in front of you to the point that it can be hard to overcome. God in his infinite wisdom however placed your ears upon your head in such a manner that when you turn your back to the wind the noise goes away and so does the intimidation sin is the same turn your back on those things that tempt you and you are no longer intimidated by the noise the going gets so much easier then he said that same wind now at your back became nothing more than a gentle push in the right direction. Just like the Holy Spirit gently nudging you into becoming the man or woman He wants you to be. Isn't that beautiful? That happens when by faith you realize He's there. And He's made everything for our enjoyment, and for our good. And if we turn in the right direction, we will not be intimidated, but we will be nudged into the right way, and the sounds and the din of this world will fade away because God made it that way. When we reason, and the gift of appreciation is working, and by faith we reach out, to touch God. A knowledge of God and a power by which life is triumphant comes to us when we use our reason and the gift of appreciation and the power of faith that God has planted in His universe. Hallelujah. What do you really know about God? Whatever it is, it's not enough. Whatever I know is not enough. I want to turn my back on the wind. I want to be nudged in the right direction. I want to turn from the din of the world and hear God today. I want to reason with God and about God. And I want the gift of appreciation to reveal Him to me in new and living ways. And I want my faith to soar and to rise so that we can accomplish everything God has put in front of us to do. The building of that magnificent building out there on Highway 50, the reaching of Sacramento and Northern California and the United States with Christ, where is our vision? Faith determines it. How big is your God? Big enough to help you through your crises? Big enough to help you through your doubts? big enough to carry you through school and be undaunted and untainted by the world. Sure, he's big enough. If you reason about him and have the gift of appreciation as you look at what he's done and as you have faith that he's anointed by the Spirit of God with your head in the right direction. You will know him as Job knew him and as Jeremiah testified of him. This one thing we need, an understanding. An understanding. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for this hour together. How beautiful it's been to sing and to pray and to hear the music. Oh, we've been lifted. Thank you for the choir and the dedicated ensemble and our organists and pianists, our beautiful ushers greeters, parking attendants, the Sunday school teachers, everyone that's made this morning so lovely. And for all these people who have loved you enough to come to your house, thank you, God. Now communicate to every person. There's a teenager here, Lord, just this week has been told by a professor that there is no God we all evolved now in church they've heard the preacher say that in the beginning was God And they'd be able to take hold of it thank you God there's a man here whose life has been shattered this week, he's questioned how a God of love could let it happen, oh God, it's the result of man's sin, we know, and now you're reaching toward that man in love, just take him by the hand and lift him up, Job said there is lifting up.